I was trying to think of some kind of illustration to help us get a fresh look at God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Trinity is so complex to try and understand. If you try and understand it, you're not going to, basically. But here's, here's something that I've come up with, which I think is original to me. We'll see how it goes. I want you to imagine that God the Father, I'm, I'm going I'm to pretend that I'm God, all right, just for a minute. Okay, so I know that I'm not, and you know that I'm not. My wife definitely knows that I'm not. But let's just for a second. God the Father is like the God who's on the stage, He's the one beyond. He's the one above. He's the one that you can't quite reach, but you kind of want to. And then the Bible says that God became the Son. And it says in the book of John that He dwelt amongst us. And John says, and we beheld His glory. We saw Him. We looked at Him. And the idea of God the Son, Jesus, is everyone is going to look at Him. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will see Him. The goal, if you like, is to see Jesus. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? Our faith is all about Jesus. That's, he is before, he is, he is everything, He is all things. The whole purpose of why we exist is to help people to see Jesus. The Bible says, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Jesus, God the Son, Jesus, everyone is going to see Him. God the Spirit's a little different to that. Because God the Spirit is quite shy. And God the Spirit actually wants to come and dwell amongst us. And live amongst us and sit amongst us. And now you're all getting really, really freaked out now, aren't you? And the thing about God the Spirit, okay, is that some of you can really get him and he feels really close, but others he feels a million miles away. So close, Kirsty, thank you. You're the blessed one this morning. And I want to say a few things about God the Spirit. God the Spirit is not an it, he's a he. So we talk about it, and he's not it, it's a he, it's God, it's the personality of God. The Spirit is the personality of Jesus Christ. Christ amongst us. It's not an it, he's, a, not, he's, he's not an it, he's a he. He's also, he's not a force to be used. It's not like Star Wars, you know, where we can pick up this force. God the Spirit wants a relationship with us, not just to be a force that we use. He's not weird, even though he does some strange things. And some of us, even in this room, will have some different experiences of the Holy Spirit. And I can feel some of you getting even more uncomfortable as I'm speaking from here. And that's how we feel about the Holy Spirit sometimes, isn't it? He's not someone to be afraid of, even though he can do some quite unusual things. He always wants to work in our lives for our good. The Holy Spirit is among us. Amen. The Holy Spirit is among us. And the Holy Spirit's kind of purpose by coming amongst us. And the Greek word uh, for the comforter. You see, Jesus said to his disciples, listen, you see me, Jesus now, okay? But listen, I'm going to go. It's better for you that I go. Because if I go, I can send someone just like me who can be alongside you. The Greek word paraclete, the one who comes alongside all the time. And you can't get your head around this. I always think I'd love to have lived like, you know, as a disciple, to have touched Jesus. But Jesus said, it's better for you that I go and send the other one. Listen, it's better that we live in the era of the Spirit than if we'd have walked with Jesus in the flesh. That's what Jesus says. That's amazing, isn't it? He says, I'm going to go and I'm going to send someone just like me. The paraclete is going to come alongside. He's going to be among you and he's going to point you towards Jesus. So now I'll go back up here, okay? Just as a way of kind of getting us to engage with God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. One person, God, but expressed in different forms. The, the word paraclete means the one who is called to your side, the helper, the advocate, the guide, the counsellor, the comforter, the co-pilot, the battle partner. Isn't that great? That's the paraclete. That's the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of God, the Holy Spirit, is one thing, to reveal Jesus in our lives. 
to reveal Jesus in our lives and through our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings the life of Jesus in us and through us. And the one key ingredient that he wants to bring more than anything else is summed up in the phrase that Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he talks about, I'm not come to, you know, not like the thief that come to steal, kill, and destroy. And he says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's the key purpose of the Holy Spirit, that you would have life and life to the full. Spiritual life is not about how hard you try or about what you do. It's about receiving the power and the life of God to become the person God had in mind for you to become. The Holy Spirit in you is bringing the life of Christ to enable you to become the kind of person that God dreamt that you would become. God's goal is that we flourish in life. Amen? You don't sound very excited about that. God's goal for me is that I flourish in my life. It says in uh, Psalm 92 verse 12 to 14, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. And listen to this. They will still bear fruit in old age. Amen? <laughs> they will stay fresh and green. They will stay fresh and green. In old age. My wife's a nurse and um, when we watch, well she watches and I kind of join her now, watching you know, Casualty and Grey's Anatomy and ER, she loves to diagnose the conditions before the doctor can, alright? It's like a little competitive game that she has and she's normally always right to be fair. Uh, there is a condition called FTT and some of you will know about this if you work with kids, failure to thrive. FTT, failure to thrive. Psychologists say the largest mental health problems of our day are not depression or anxiety, but our FTT, the failure to thrive. We could call it languishing. Languishing is not the presence of mental illness, but it's the absence of mental or emotional vitality. And God's goal is that we thrive as believers. Amen? If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to, I want to tell you religion okay, is, is, is what we do to try and become what we think God wants us to become. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Uh, flourishing okay, is where we allow God to change us and transform us and bring the life of God in us and through us. God wants us to flourish. Isn't that right? Let me read some great verses to you from Romans 8. Don't turn to it because this is from the message translation. I want you to hear it fresh. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 8 to 11, But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about. There's many Christians who sat in church for years, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about because you've never really welcomed the Spirit of God to control and to flood your life. That's what Paul's saying. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. Isn't that awesome? It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives in you and breathes in you, you're delivered from that dead life from that failure to thrive. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. Sylvia's excited. Nobody else is excited, but Sylvia is. Isn't that an unbelievable thing? You could just dwell and read that. 
And what I want to do this morning in the time that we've got is I want to take you on a journey this morning and to look at how the Holy Spirit wants to bring the life of Christ into your life. And on this day of Pentecost, on this day of Pentecost, I want us to get a fresh look at who the Holy Spirit is. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to use six symbols that are in the Word of God. There are more, but there are six major ones that we're going to use this morning to work through this whole thing. They're symbols of the Spirit. They speak about how He expresses His nature in our lives. And I want you to notice something. This is part of the thing about the Holy Spirit. These symbols are often opposite. You've like, you got fire and water. You've got oil and water. You've got fire and a dove of peace. They seem opposite and contradictory. That's because God is so amazing, isn't it? But I want you to know, all these symbols speak of aspects of the life of God that God wants to bring into your life and into my life. So are you ready for this then? Six symbols. Number one, we'll see it up on the screen, is fire. That's the symbol that we associate, I think, with Acts 2. The song that Mark led us in this morning was taken from the Old Testament. It was a story sure you understood that, of where the priests made a sacrifice and God responded by sending fire to consume the sacrifice. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together, the Bible said, in the upper room and they were praying and they were waiting on God and, and, and the Bible says that the wind of the Spirit came and, and the Holy Spirit came and it, it looked like there were tongues of fire on their head and it enabled them to speak with other tongues and it gave them what fire gives us, passion and boldness. We need that as believers, don't we? We need passion. Tell you what, you do not live life without passion. One of the ancient list of deadly sins, there was a sin called acedia, which means the weariness of soul and the inability to delight in life. I'll tell you what, as Christians, we have to be, we should be, we must be people who enjoy life. Not just church, not just worship, celebration, but life. You know, where there's the passion of God at work within us and where we come to enjoy life. Henry Thoreau, a doctor, said, When I came to die... I would discover that I had not really lived. What a tragic thing to say. When I came to die, I discovered that I had not really lived. It's passion that makes life, life. It's passion that those early believers received in that upper room. Gave them courage and boldness. We need the fire of God because the fire brings passion into our experience. You know, some of us, I believe, are wood who have never been set on fire. We're saved. We welcome Jesus if you like, we had the baptism of John, which is forgiveness of sins and repentance. But you know, in the, in the New Testament, it often talks about, well, did you receive John's baptism or Jesus' baptism? Like there's two. Because John's is, is about, I'm, I'm for, sorry for my sins and I want to be forgiven. But Jesus's was more than that. It was that actually we don't only want to be forgiven, but we want to enter into life with Christ. The fullness of the Spirit. Some of us this morning are wood who've never been set on fire. And I want to say to you, if you want to be set on fire by the Spirit of God, you have to do something. You have to sacrifice yourself. You see, sacrifice needs something to burn. William Booth, who's one of my spiritual heroes who founded the Salvation Army, their motto is blood and fire. And he said, I told the Lord he could have all there is of William Booth. You see, that is someone who understands what it is to die to self so that he can live in Christ and Christ can live in him. See, many people in our culture have what I call a gospel of addition, where we want to add Christ to our lives. Are you with me? Where we want to say, do you know what? I, I, I want this and I want that and I want that and I'll have him as well. And it's like a pick and mix and we want to add our spirituality to our lives, but we don't really want to change. Actually, we're still on the throne. You will never experience the fire of God unless you say, do you know what? I need to get off the throne 
and die to myself and have a gospel, not of addition, but of exchange. Where I die, I am crucified with Christ so that he can live in me. And then we will see incredible fire and passion in our lives. Some of us are embers. The fire is a flicker and fading fast. The Bible says, fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. In the Greek Olympics, the, the torch runners, the goal was not to win the race. The goal was to, win, was to finish across the finish line with your torch still alight. That was the goal. And that's got to be the goal for us, isn't it? Not just to get to the end, but to get to the end with our flame still alight. Some of us have put the fire out ourselves. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the Spirit's fire. I get absolutely flabbergasted these days by people who were going on with God who say, well, don't feel God's there. God doesn't exist. And I think, and what are you doing about it? Absolutely diddly squat. What you are doing is putting stuff on the fire that's put the fire out over a long period of time. What you're not doing is put things on the fire that will keep the fire stoked up. What you are doing then is moaning that the fire's gone out when actually you were the one who put it out by what you did or by what you didn't do. And the, the, the word of God is clear. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Fire increases or decreases depending on what goes on it. Isn't that right? So if you were moaning this morning about the fire going out, say, God, help me. What have I done to put the fire out? What can I do to increase the fire? And you see what God does. Some of us have had the fire put out by others or by life. God knows that and God understands that. Some of us are ashes who were once ignited by God but are now extinguished. But I want you to know that on Pentecost Day, 2010, there is still God who answers by fire. And he brings the fire of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we pray? Father, I just want to pray this morning, if there's anyone here that needs the fire of the Spirit, God, I pray that we do what that said. Slow down, open up our heart and ask. Lord, your word says that when we ask, we will receive. When we really genuinely ask, we will receive. Fire of God, I pray you bring passion in our lives. May we flourish and thrive as you're at work within us in Jesus' name. Amen. Second symbol is water. If you've got a Bible, we're looking at John 7, verse 37 to 39. The Bible says that on the last and greatest day of the feast, there are three great feasts in the Jewish tradition. This is the last and greatest day of the feast. And uh, the Bible says that um, Jesus was there in uh, John chapter 7. And uh, he just uttered, uh, he didn't utter, he actually shouted these, these words. It says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if only anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit with whom, uh, sorry, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. That's what I was explaining at the start. Okay, Jesus had not yet been glorified and gone to heaven, so the spirit hadn't yet been given in its full its expression. But he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. Passion without refreshing brings weariness. But refreshing without passion brings selfishness. 
We've had experiences in our history, haven't we, as a church over the last 20, 30 years, globally and for us, where there's been times of outpouring and, you know, Toronto, and if you remember that era, and, you know, refreshing, refreshing, refreshing. But refreshing without passion actually can lead to selfishness. But passion without refreshing can lead to weariness. The word within him here in the Greek is, is actually the word belly, all right? So we're going to talk about belly for a moment in church this morning. And it actually speaks about the deepest place inside you. It's the place where you get anxious or afraid. It's the place deep in you where you feel hollow, empty, or disappointed. The Greek word koilia is where we get the, our term colitis from, if you know that condition. Deep inside you, that knotting, that anxiety, that emptiness. Scientists speak of a brain in the gut like a system that produces a feeling of well-being or a threat deeper that you can put into words. And I, I believe that there's something going on in our belly when it comes to the work of the Spirit. The place where deep inside of us we get anxious or we get afraid or we get fearful and Jesus wants to pour his streams of living water into that part of you that it would flow out from within you. Listen, the reality of spiritual experience is this. This is what happens. People become hungry to know God, all right? God the Father. They're moved by a vision of Jesus that Dan spoke to us last week. And everything's great for a while. They're filled with love. They're drawn to the Bible. They worship. They pray. They tell others about God. Their language gets cleaned up a little bit. Then after some time, the progress stalls. Do you know what I mean? Instead of life-flowing rivers of living water, we yell at the kids that we love. We worry too much. We can't be bothered with worship or prayer. It becomes a drudgery. We become jealous. We run. We judge. We sin. And we get stuck in what I call a gap. And then what we do is we go into gap management, don't we? We go into gap management. And there's a cycle of gap management, and this is how it goes, where we try harder. Isn't that what happens? When we get to that bit where that, that whole life seems to have kind of dried up, as Christians, we try harder, all right? But what happens when we try harder is that we get into fatigue. Anyone know what I'm talking about? We try really harder, but it ain't working, and we get shattered, all right, exhausted. And then what we do is we quit. We just stop. We just stop doing it. We just stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. We stop worshiping. We stop opening up to the work of the Spirit. We stop responding. We stop serving. We stop believing. We stop uh, witnessing to people. We just sit there. We might sit on the seat, but we've stopped. We've quit. After a period of time, what happens then is that we get guilt. But then when we get guilt, what do we do? Try harder. That's called gap management. That's not the life of the Spirit. The other thing that we do as Christians, if we don't do that, is that we fake it, because we can be good at that. Pentecostal Christians can be the best at that. So we say things like, we're not Pentecostal enough. And I say, what do you mean? There's no tongues spoken in the Sunday morning meeting. That's Pentecostal experience. That's not Pentecostal experience. That's speaking in tongues on a Sunday morning meeting. Pentecostal experience is much wider and deeper and broader than that. But we can fake it, because if we can speak in tongues, do you know what I mean, and sing fire hymns, then we're, we're really spiritual and we fake it and we pretend because we know what to do. We need to ask God's river to flow within us. We need to ask for the river of God deep in our bellies where colitis spiritually happens, where from deep within us there's a sense of well-being 
and richness and joy and life. And Jesus shouts on the last and greatest day of the feast, if anyone is thirsty, please come to me and drink. There's an amazing story in the book of Judges chapter 7. You might know the story where God says, you're going to pick 300 men and you're going to sort the, the enemy out. Do you remember the story? And, he, and, and there's thousands of them. And he says, how are you going to do it? He says, well, take them to the river and see how they drink. This is very interesting. See how they drink. And, and, and the ones that drink in a certain way, you're going to take. And the ones that drink in another way, you don't. And this is what happens. They all go to the river. Some of them dive in and they just like that. But 300 of them stand up and they take the water and they cup it and they lap it, to their, to their, and they lap it from their hands. And, and, and God says, they're the ones you're going to take. Why that? Because all of those guys were soldiers. But some soldiers don't forget that they're soldiers. Some do. Those 300 men, this is revelation for you. Those 300 men stood as soldiers, said, I'm a soldier, but I need refreshing. So I'm going to take it. I'm still alert. I'm still watching. And I'm going to be refreshed myself in order to battle the others forgot they were a soldier and just dived in because they were thirsty. I'll tell you what, there's something happening, I believe, in these days where God's calling for Christians who don't forget who they are, but who understand that they need to get refreshed. And we don't just dive in and forget the enemy and forget the, the, the thing that we're called to. We don't just dive in like dogs, but we take the water out and we say, I'm still, I still know who I am, but I still need to be refreshed. And perhaps this morning, you are a soldier who needs to be refreshed. You're someone who needs to drink from the streams of God. The band are going to come back up. We're just going to take five minutes or so in worship and just invite the Holy Spirit to refresh us this morning. Is that okay? Before we move on to the other symbols, we're going to just take a look. So why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray. We're just going to use this simple song. just says, holy fire from heaven. Speaks about holy breath. Speaks of our holy streams from heaven. And as you sing it, don't just sing it as a song. Don't go into song mode now, all right? Stay in, stay in prayer mode. Stay in seeking mode. Stay in hungry mode and thirsty mode. How many of you know that you can be thirsty as a Christian? Isn't that right? And you can get weary. And if you're on that cycle, I tell you, please, that is not the plan of God for your life. Try harder. Get tired. Stop. Feel guilty. God's calling us to a bigger thing than that. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, try harder. No, he didn't. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Why don't we lift our hands together for a moment? Why don't we just invite the Holy Spirit to come? Stop thinking about all the stuff you're thinking about around you and just say, God, I need you. Not about Leon. It's not about the church. It's not about anything else. It's just about me and you. You want to you dive into a river and you want to go to the source. You want to head to the source. You want to know the source. You don't just want to know what happens out the river. You want to know the source. God, I pray that as we sing these songs, I pray that, Lord, that we will somehow invite you into our hearts and into our lives in a fresh way today. Holy fire from heaven, fall on us, we pray. Holy stream from heaven, flow within us today. We're thirsty. We need you, God. Flow within, deep within our belly, Lord God, where there's anxiety where there's hurt, where there's fear, where there's threat, where there's, where there's anxiousness. God, would you be at work right in the deepest parts of our bellies today, I pray, and that we would know you, God. Let your life flow through us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Just, just feel stirred to do something unusual.
But if you're thirsty today and, and you, you're saying, God, I really need to drink from you, I'd like you symbolically to take your hands and cup them up to your face. And I'm going to pray for you, all right? I know it's a bit weird, okay? But it's symbolic and you're saying, God, I'm thirsty. Just like those men that didn't forget who they were, but they, but they responded. Just take your hands and cup them to your mouth. I want to pray for you this morning. Father, I want to pray for these people, Lord God, who are saying to you this morning that they're thirsty and they need you. God, I pray you'd pour out your spirit through them, Lord Jesus, and in them, in Jesus' name. God, I pray for, your word says you lead us besides waters. God, I pray that you'd lead them to places of refreshing. You'd lead them to places of refreshing individually. You'd lead them to people who refresh them. You'd lead them to new experiences of your Holy Spirit. You'd lead them to new experiences of life. You'd surprise them. C.S. Lewis says, surprised by joy. You'd surprise them with some of the freshness that you bring in their lives and you'd refresh them. Not just when we take a drink, we get refreshed in our mouth. I pray that you'd refresh them deep in the center of who they are, deep in their belly, deep in their soul and spirit. Would you refresh them with the water of the Spirit of Jesus, I pray. God, I pray that in that refreshing, fresh energy and life and expectancy and faith, would come into their lives in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you'd break the cycle of try, fatigue, quit, guilt that many of us are caught in and let us flow in the Spirit of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. Just take your seats. There's a, we sang in that song about the holy fire and the holy stream. We also sang about the holy breath and there's something... It's totally exciting to me about all these pictures, but the wind, the breath of the Spirit, the word ruach, ruach in, in Hebrew is the same word, wind and breath. When God breathed into the nostrils of Adam, it's the same word. And I've got a couple of pictures for you this morning. I just really sense that these will equate to our experience. One of them is a rowing boat. I, went, I was on a retreat this week with them. Um, some friends, ten, 10 of us Christian leaders across the black country, and we went on retreat. And part of that, we went on a canoeing trip, six and a half miles, uh, middle-aged men being teenagers. The guys that took us said that they take groups of teenagers out, and they'd never have got so wet in all of their life as when they took us out, because we just had a ball, had just a hoop, just drowning each other, and they were in the middle of it all, and they got totally soaked. And then when we told them what we did, they didn't believe us that we were <laughs> Christian leaders. Because uh, <laughs> of the language, no, it wasn't because of the language. But, but there's something about rowing, and I've got a picture here for you that, you know, I think, are you sailing or are you rowing? You know, when you're sailing, the, the sails are up and the wind fills the sails, and you get to where you want to go. But when you're rowing, you get to where you want to go, but you're shattered at the end of it. And our spiritual life is often like that, isn't it? And we can get somewhere, but we're shattered. Whereas the spiritual life that Jesus is talking about, the Holy Spirit, is where we get to where we want to go. And we may be tired physically, do you know what I mean? But inside, in our spirit, we're alive and fresh. There's another picture. Ezekiel 37. The Bible says that takes the prophet, God takes the prophet Ezekiel into the valley of dry bones and asks him a question, can these bones live? And he says, well, you're God, you know. And so he says, well, prophesy, speak to them, breathe on them. The same word, ruach, for spirit, breath, wind. And he breathes on them and they come together. And the Bible says they stand a vast army. Not just together, but alive. And then he asks the question, he says, these bones, well, he makes a statement, he says, these bones are like you, Israel, who say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. 
And I wonder if some of us feel like that. That our hope is gone. That our bones are dried up and we feel cut off. The wind, the breath of the Spirit is at work if we'll only breathe Him in. And I think it's a little bit like air in the natural, in the body. Getting a bit medical here. (laughs) Outside of us there's all this air and oxygen and we need it inside of us. And So when we breathe in oxygen... Something happens, our lungs process the oxygen into our bloodstream, attaches to haemoglobin, red blood cells, and it's carried around our body bringing life, vitality and transformation. But as well as breathing in, we have to do something else. We have to breathe out because we create carbon dioxide, which we don't want to keep in. We need to breathe it out. How many of you know we need to do that as Christians, don't we? We need someone to breathe out the toxic stuff that comes inside of us so we can breathe in the new, vital, life-giving power of the Spirit. I'll tell you what, one of the biggest killers to spiritual life is toxicity in the life of believers. Where we've got toxic feelings towards other people. Where we've got hurts that we're not dealing with. Where we've got bitterness and rejection and unforgiveness. And it's toxic and it's inside of us and it's killing our spiritual life. And God wants us to breathe out in order that we can breathe in. Breathe out, wait and breathe in. Just close your eyes for a minute. Pat, guys, Mark. Pat's going to sing over you this morning. This is an old hymn. Really old, so old it will be new to most of you. But I want you just to let the words and the music wash over you. And as you do that, I want to encourage you to do something. Breathe out. Wait and breathe in. And as you breathe out this morning, think about some of those toxic things in your life. Attitudes, relationships, hurts, whatever. And say, God, I want to breathe that out. I want to breathe it out. And then I want to breathe in the fresh breath of the Spirit of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so tenderly. The Bible says that, it says of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. And the God who answers by fire is the God who draws Elijah out of the cave with a still small voice. The God who's like a river, a torrent, is the God who places his hand upon a little child. What an amazing God. We need a fresh look at God. See the fire, the water, the wind, the breath of God work in our lives. Jesus. A couple of symbols that I want to talk a little bit about is oil. Just going to say a few words about oil. Oil is a picture in the Bible of the Holy Spirit, often is associated with kingship and authority and anointing and all of that. And we could speak for a few weeks on that. But there's something about oil that's also associated with healing and soothing of body, soul and spirit. The Samaritan man, remember the good Samaritan, you know, who picks up the man who's beaten on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho and the Bible says he applies oil and wine, again pictures of the spirit, brings healing to his body and to his soul. It says in Isaiah 1 verse 6, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil. It's a picture of how many of our lives end up over time, don't they? You know, with no kind of healing, no, you just 
take it off the fold back if you can, if it's there, just a little thing. And in Jeremiah 8.22, it says, Is there no balm in Gilead? You might have heard that old Negro spiritual song. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wounds of my people? The word balm is where we get balsam from. It's like a, it's like a, um, uh, oh, lost the word. It's like, it's like a, a cloth with, with, oil, with oil and healing properties within it. And Jeremiah is saying, is there, is there nowhere a balm where we can apply it for the wounds of my people? Well, the reality is there is, isn't there? There is a balm in Gilead, Jesus Christ, and by his spirit, he brings oil to us. It says in Psalm 23, you anoint my head with oil. We always think of King David, you anoint my head with oil. But a shepherd in biblical days had a little flask of oil on his belt. And what he would do is he would get a sheep, literally, to come towards him. And, and all the little irritant flies that get in the sheep's eyes, he'd take the oil and he'd put it over his head just to keep those little irritating gnats out of the eyes of the sheep. That's phenomenal. That's what it means. You anoint my head with oil. It's not just about kingship. It's about the fact that God cares about us enough to help us with the little irritating gnats in our life. Got some names for those, haven't you? <laughs> not your kids or whatever, your work colleagues. But God loves that. And the other thing, that when he puts oil on the head of the sheep, because the sheep often would butt their heads, but you put oil on them and that just flies off and they're not damaged. We need that amongst us, don't we? Because we sometimes butt our heads against each other. But when the oil of the Spirit is at work within a community, we can butt and we can clash, but the damage is not, is not there. And the Bible says that He is like oil, that the oil of the Holy Spirit brings soothing and healing into our lives. The dove that brings peace, it says in Luke 3, 22, when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The dove is an important uh, animal in the Bible, important bird, called the poor man's sacrifice. When you went up to the temple to sacrifice, okay, if you were poor, you'd have a dove. All the other things would cost too much. It's like, I don't know, I'm going to offend someone. It's like the Aldi, all right, or the Lidl. It's that end of the market, and it's kind of like, you know, everyone else can go to Waitrose and, you know, and Marks and Spencers, but, you know, Aldi and Lidl, but that's okay, because there's a dove for you. And that dove is important in the Bible. It speaks in all religions. You can look up on Google, okay, the source of all knowledge. You can look up all religions have this, a reverence for the dove as a symbol of harmony and peace and faithfulness. But the Hebrew for peace, shalom, is much more than peace. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. How many of you need some of that? And in Genesis chapter 8, when Noah is in the ark, and he's been in the ark for weeks, hasn't he? And all the water's there. Do you remember the story? You remember the story? And he sent out a dove. And the Bible says that as he came back, and there's a phrase that it says in Genesis chapter 8, he says, he reached out his hand and he took it in. He reached out his hand and he took in the dove of peace. And I think there's a picture there and a word there for us that when we need peace in our life, we have to sometimes do something. We have to reach out our hand and we have to take him in. Mark, can you play? And so what I want to do there, just for a few minutes this morning, is just to dwell for a couple of minutes, we have one more symbol left, on oil and peace, on healing and peace. I want us just to stand for a minute. Can we do that? Just stand for a minute. And I just want to ask, and I just sense that there may be people here this morning, and you need a touch of the Holy Spirit today. You need a touch of oil in your life. You need to reach out for some peace in your life. It may be physically. You have a physical need. 
and the oil. The Bible says if you're sick, you call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint you with oil and pray. Now we, we don't believe that's just the elders. We believe anybody can do that. But the principle is that if you're sick, you say, God, you can heal. And we ask someone to pray for us. And we've got some oil here that we want to use this morning. And if you physically are sick, or if there's a wound in you, and you need God to just pour some oil into you today, or if you need the peace of God, and you're going to reach out and someone's going to just pray for you, then we want to, again, just pray for you this morning. So just want to invite you, if anybody wants to just step out with me this morning, if any of you need prayer, perhaps we'll sing something, Mark, whatever, and just come and we'll just pray. And some of us will come out and just anoint you for a moment with oil and just ask God to touch you in your body or in your soul or in your spirit or in your mind. You need peace. You need oil. Then just say, can we sing something? And while we sing, just come and um, just ask God to do what He wants to do. Amen. It's no um, coincidence to me that, you know, the first recorded miracle of Jesus doesn't take place in a temple. Uh, It actually takes place at a party, doesn't it? And... um, this is the last symbol of the Spirit that we're going to look at just for a couple of minutes. And I don't know about you, but as I've looked at this, I've just got blown away by how amazing God is. You know, and I just, just for a, in a fresh way, you think, wow, the Holy Spirit, fire, water, breath, oil, peace, the dove. And then the final Spirit, the final symbol of the Spirit, which, which I know is a challenge to some of us and others not, is wine. It's wine, isn't it? And, and, and the Bible says that Jesus turned water. Guys, you can come back up. Jesus turned water into wine. And as much as water is like a staple diet, wine speaks of joy, doesn't it? It speaks of vitality. And you know why Jesus did that miracle at, 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 the, at, the, at the party is important because rabbis used to have a, a sentence, a statement that said, without wine, there is no joy. Okay, some of you, if you've got that statement, there's the need to talk about that. But they had this statement, if without wine, there is no joy. And it was a bit like, because wine just symbolized the community and the relationship and the family. And it was just a symbolic thing for them. It wasn't about getting drunk, okay? It was a whole different thing. Wine was very watered down in, in, in New Testament days in that sense. But it was more about community and relationship. And so when the wine runs out at this wedding, Jesus' heart is stirred because here's a family that's going to be in disgrace. Here's a a married couple that are going to lose this symbol of vitality and life. And Jesus said, I don't want that. I don't want these people to lose life. I don't want these people to lose faith. I want these people to have joy. And so he turns the water into wine. And let me say a couple of things about the wine of the Spirit of God, as opposed to Chianti or any other kind of wine, all right? Regular wine gives you some joy, but leaves you with an after experience, all right? But the wine of God's Spirit brings you joy like you've never experienced. Regular wine is never as good a vintage as the wine that God produces by His Spirit. Regular wine is is always old, but the wine of God's Spirit is always new and fresh, even though it's kind of vintage. It's just amazing, isn't it? It's like the vintage quality wine, but it's new and it's fresh. The Bible says new wine He gives And regular wine controls you, but in a way that makes you become a creature again. But the wine of the Holy Spirit can control you and direct you and cause you to become the person you were created to be. That's why Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, because that controls you. Because the word filled 
in the Bible doesn't mean filled like poured. It really means controlled by. And if you're filled with wine, you're controlled by that wine. You become a creature. But if you're filled with the Spirit and you're controlled and directed by the Spirit, you become the creation that I wanted you to become. Isn't that great? And wine speaks of joy. And I want to read something to you. And I've read this before. One of my favourite authors and writers and speakers and Storytellers is a guy called Tony Campolo. And I want to read you this story because I just think it's great. And he says this, I seem to be particularly dangerous when I get on elevators or lifts. Our society teaches us to turn and face the doors and stand there quietly. But in my younger days, I loved to turn around and face the other people who I didn't know who were in the elevator or the lift. And I'd say something like, you're probably wondering why I call this meeting. Once I was in an elevator in a New York skyscraper filled with very serious-faced businessmen. I smiled and said, lighten up. We're going to be traveling together for quite a while. What do you say we sing? Incredibly, they did. I don't know whether they were intimidated by me or just wanted to have some fun. But businessmen with briefcases in hand and businesswomen in their power suits joined me in singing, You Are My Sunshine. (laughs) When I got off at the 70th floor, one man got off and walked down the hall with me, wearing a big smile on his face. I asked him, are you going to the same meeting as me? Nah, he said, I just want to finish the song. (laughs) And then he says this, in Archibald MacLeish's great play, JB, Satan is asked what he misses most about heaven. And he answers, the sound of the trumpets, the sound of joy. Indeed, to be in the presence of God, is to be part of a glorious celebration. Sometimes that's hard to grasp, he, say, he says, when I'm in the pulpit looking at the somber faces of those in the congregation. I hear them say, we know the joy of the Lord. And I feel like saying, then would you please notify your faces? Well, we're going to finish by celebrating who God is this morning. Is that all right? And I know it's been a little different this morning and it's going to get even more different. Because we're going to sing a song, and I've got some party poppers here, and some blowy things, okay? So what we're going to do is that we're going to celebrate. Guys, when you want to start, go for it. And we're going to have a little bit of a celebration here this morning.